Welcome to episode one of Pod on the Block. This episode will focus on the much-loved Wembley Market, which was the biggest Sunday market in the UK, known for its fashion, music, street food and its lively atmosphere. The market operated in the car park of the iconic Wembley Stadium for over 40 years. Even Lord Alan Sugar and Sir Richard Branson traded at this market when they were starting out. Then one day, the local authority Brent Council wanted to regenerate Wembley and forced Wembley Market to close. That was it. A market which had operated for decades had been closed down in a matter of a few months. Gone. I will be joined by Tessa Darby from the management team of Wendy Fear Markets, who founded and operated Wembley Market. Tessa, welcome and thanks for joining me on Pod on the Block. It's great to talk, finally. <laughs> Can you begin by speaking about the legacy of Wembley Market? Yeah, yeah, it opened uh, 1972. It was some people that we know, some competitors in our field that opened the market. Yeah. And my parents, who is their family business that we have, my parents helped them when they first opened the market in the first year or so because it was a very big thing to undertake and it was a lot of traders from the very beginning it was a very big market there is a legacy that, that sort of they say that uh, it was opened because the person Lou Hughes who originally opened it wanted to get some tickets for the World Cup uh, or, or, or a, a football uh, a football match um, but actually it's not that actually true and he thought well what, what how can I get some tickets he thought I'll be associated with Wembley so I'll open a market there they were actually just looking for a site uh, to open a market and mm. Wembley obviously being fairly central was a good place to start um, and that was yeah 1972 my parents as I said my parents were were there from the beginning it was 1987 that uh, Wendy Fair Markets took over so Wendy being a family business Wendy's my my mother so my mother and father started the business about 50 years ago, operating general markets around the country. Um, in 1987, yes, we got the contract to operate Wembley Market. At that time, uh, Sunday trading was still illegal. Right. Um, but Wembley Market could run, if a lot of people might remember this, because it was a Jewish market. Mm. You had to be Jewish or Seventh-day Adventist, which meant that your Sabbath was on the Saturday, and therefore you could trade on the Sunday. So everyone that traded there um, basically had to have an affidavit to say that they were the Jewish or Seventh-day Adventist. So oh, that's why one of the reasons why it was a very, a very successful market, because you got a lot of the East End um, wholesalers, which were Jewish people because they were, you know, in the cloth trade. Um, and so that's where that sort of comes from and why it, it ended up to be a very good market, because you, you got some very good bargains there from these wholesalers that would come out on the Sunday um, to, you know, get rid of end, end of lines and stock and things that they had. Um, and then obviously things became, it was a very busy market then, yeah. but things became easier once the Sunday trading laws came in, which my parents were very, um, quite big in, in trying to get the Sunday trading mm. um, laws squashed just to, to open it out to everyone. We had other Sunday markets, which we traded on um, and the way we, tr we got 
and the Sunday trading laws then was we we had it as a Sunday as a market club. So you paid to be part mm. of the market club. It was like thirty pence, ah. um, and you paid to be a part of the club, and then you could therefore then trade and buy on the Sunday. So that's we've operated Sunday markets for quite a while, um, but. Yeah, so that was Wembley. Um, you know, it's very much a community market. I mean, when the stadium was being developed. Do you mean developed from the old stadium with the Twin Towers to the new stadium with the arch? Yes, uh, we were accommodated and we were moved around. I mean, we'd been up on the concourse, we'd been down Olympic Way, we'd been on all different types of sites all around Wembley while it was being developed. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it, it was it was there for, for an awful long time. Um you know, it was what forty years nearly that it was there for. Yeah. So it it was it was very much part of the community, and everyone knew 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 about it. And even now, you know, we still get people ringing up. I've had an email in this morning saying, "Is Wembley Market on this Sunday?" Um, <laughs> you know, people because people would know it. That you know, people coming tourists coming in, they would know it. So they would just come in every couple of years, and they would come yeah. to it and still thinking it's there. Um, it's a real shame that we can't find another site to put it on because it was a it was a very good facility and that's what it was you know it, it was a facility yeah. for the local community around there and it was a hub for them as well to come on a sunday and congregate and you know meet people meet new people some people yeah. would go there every week without fail though those days also we used to have horse of the year show which was then in the um, arena and then when horse of the year show came they used to take up what was what we called the it was the east lake east lake car park where the market was um, so that used to be a lake when it was the exhibition when it was the exhibitionals i can't remember the name of the exhibition so that was the east lake car park that we were on so the stables for the horse of the year show used to go on the east lake car park and during that time we would go down Olympic Way for two or three weeks. And then sometimes we would go up around the concourse, depending uh, what parking they needed. Can you tell us a bit more about some of Wembley Market's famous traders, such as Alan Sugar and Richard Branson? Yeah, yeah, Alan Sugar, he used to trade at Wembley Market when he was younger. And Branson, yeah, uh, Richard Branson, he used to. But I, I think, I don't know whether he had his own stall or used to help at Wembley Market, Richard Branson. But there's a lot of people and a lot of big names. I mean, Marks and Spencer's being the obvious, very famous one. Marks' penny stall on, where was that, Kirkley's Market, I think was up in uh, Yorkshire you know but a lot of people that's where a lot of people have started trading it is an incubator for entrepreneurs you know even these days there's a lot of people that you know start with markets because they're meeting the people that they're selling the goods to with and meeting those customers and talking about their goods to the customers we used to have quite a few what do they call it the the young entrepreneurs young enterprise sorry the young enterprise people that would be in local colleges around and they would come and take a stall on the Sunday would give them a stall free of charge and they would sell the things that they had set their business up at college to sell and to try try their hand at business to see how they got on. Can you talk about the issue Wembley Market had with traders selling fake goods? Yeah, I mean, we've had um, basically a few run-ins with the trading standards. Uh, basically, the where, where, where it lies is that, yes, some traders have been found guilty and been prosecuted of selling tra- counterfeit goods. The Council um, of Times and the press have tried to say it's an endemic thing. But but when you look at it, we, we, there was about one prosecution per year. When you work out that we had about 300 traders there working every Sunday, that is a lot of traders. That's 
you know, that's that's 15,000 trading days a year. And so one one of those was prosecuted about once a year. So you can't really call that endemic. Um, but also what we do as a market operator, our business, we sell the space to the traders and how we operate our business. We operate in a legal as we should do under the law. As a trader, you operate your own individual business. And as an individual business, you have to, it's implicit on you to make sure you operate within the laws of the land. So it's up to the individual traders to make sure they are operating within the laws of the land. We've had run-ins because the trading standards have tried to say to us that it's up to us to monitor this. Um, but there's no way that we can, A, know what what is and isn't counterfeit goods. And we have no powers to say, you know, what, what we can do either. Um, we've in, we invited trading standards down there all the time to say, you know, come down. We think there's counterfeit goods. They've said, you know, well, if, if you think there's counterfeit goods, then you need to uh, tell us. So at one point, every Sunday, we would ring up trading standards and say, we think there's counterfeit goods at market. Can you come down? Yeah, we'll see what we can do. And they used to come down, you know, once every six weeks or something like that. We used to have a bit of a joke and say it was uh, when they wanted overtime. So coming up to Christmas, they'd get busier because they want a bit more Sunday overtime. So, uh, but that's us just being a bit facetious, really. You know, there were also we've invited brands down there as well. We invited a lot of brands. We we wrote to brand people, said. You, the trading stands have told us that there is counterfeit goods down here or they believe there's counterfeit goods. We would like to invite you down so we can walk around and understand the problem a bit more. We invited about 30 or 40. Uh, we had about 10 replies from them. And of that, I think in the end, four or five turned up. So, you know, what what we, we did what we could that we felt was, was right to do. But, you know, the, but at the end of the day, the brands aren't, that interested i mean you know apparently there were some counterfeit goods down there but i am in no position to to say what is and what isn't um counterfeit goods do you feel the local press were a bit unfair towards wembley market when they were reporting about the the fake goods well that, i mean they were um they were reporting on what what was happening and they reported when there was the trading standards did what they call raids down there and came down and spoke and, and you know raided trader stores and took goods away they were reporting on what was happening but they were unfair when they they took their journalistic style too far and were saying that it was endemic it, you know it wasn't endemic yes there there was a bit of an issue but we we did what we could to try and help it and the trading standards would do what they could do but at the end of the day you know if the if the if the brands are worried about it then they need to do something about it it's one of the only laws that really protects and stands in front for for businesses you know most of the time businesses don't have security of the law you know that the government makes them do so many different things but this is one of the ones whereas actually you know, brands if you've got a problem you actually couldn't can do something about it um but they, they're not always that bothered to me it seems to me also that i think i think also and when you look at we've got various reports on it when you look at some reports is that people buying counterfeit goods they have the aspiration to buy something real and it ha and quite often you do find and it has been reported that they that aspiration 
will become greater. If they'll, they'll buy something counterfeit, they will then buy something small, like a Louis Vuitton purse, but a very small bit that is real because it increases that aspiration. And that's what these brands are. They're an aspirational lifestyle. So actually, quite often, it can help that aspiration and it can help that brand buy, because these like some of these people that would buy these 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 goods that maybe have gone the market, they um, you know they were having they had would, would never have the chance of buying that that type of thing if it was yeah. real. But then but then sometimes you had the trading standards that would come down, and I, I remember this specifically. There was a bag which had two circles on it, and the trading standards guy mm-hmm. came to us and said it's a knockoff of Chanel with the two mm-hmm. C's, and we said, well. It's a look, looky-likey, if you like. It's got two circles. He said, yes, but if you cut out parts of the circles, you can make it look like two Cs. And you think, but it's not two Cs. It's two circles. So even trading standards sometimes would really take this a bit too far to say that it was counterfeit. And basically, I think they wanted to uh, to make their, their name in, in the Institute of Trading Standards. They wanted to make their name, and some of them did get awards for things that they did because they just took it a little bit too far. But the two, what I've got to say is the two big cases that we have had uh, with the trading standards um, that have tried to take us to court, that have cost us thousands, they have been the ones that have come out with the tail between their legs. So, you know, they, they, it's not, you know, it's cost them an awful lot of money. Um, and it's it's never been against us. As I said, there have been people that have been prosecuted, but against us, um, it's it's never been found. Taking you back to the summer of June 2013, when Brent Council gave Wembley Market six months to find a new premises, what was that like? Yeah, it was about six months. I don't have the exact date, but yes, it was not not the council, and it was the uh, the site owner. It was always a development site, and we knew it was always a development site. Um, but they um, Wembley City, as it was then, wanted to try and accommodate us as much as they can because right. during the development time, particularly, and a long time afterwards, oh. we were basically the only income for Wembley City. We were paying them, you know, over a million pounds a year rent for that site, which was one day a week. And we hardly had much contact with them at all, to be perfectly honest, considering the size of rent we had with um, rent we were paying them. And considering there wasn't that much else going on, they had a lot in the pipeline, but they didn't have much else going on then. So, yeah, we, we knew it was, you know, it only had limited life, but we did hope with the rental income that we were producing there for them and we were fairly self-contained and you know, as I said, only there one day a week, Saturday, 12 o'clock midnight, we could go in, start setting the stalls up. And by Sunday, 12 o'clock midnight, you wouldn't have known the market was there. You know, the, the site was cleared, the stalls were cleared, the mar- the site was swept, everything had gone. So uh, we'd hope that they they would accommodate us. But I, th- I mean, it's it's only my personal opinion, but I think there was a lot of pressure from the council. And with the was the development that they wanted to do. I think the council basically said that, well, get rid of the market. We don't want it. We don't want it on our doorstep, you know, and we will, will, you know, allow these developments to go through and give you planning, but you need to get rid of the market. That's how, that's how we feel. That's how we feel. There was pressure to do that. Because, and because, yeah, there was, 
yeah, just pressure from the council. They they didn't like it there, but it served the community. But you can't, you know, Wembley is the community that it is, and it's made up of the people that are there, and they all wanted the market. Um, but, you know, Wembley City had this aspiration that they would, you know, make Wembley, I don't know, a new area like Greenwich or something like that, um, you know, and have these these flats in there and make it a real up and coming area have the london designer outlet and when they first talked about the london designer outlet they were talking in the same sentence as bister village which is you know so far removed from 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 really what it could ever be and and what it is it's it's okay it does all right for what it is how was it for wendy fear trying to find somewhere big enough to relocate wembley market to well, it shut in September and then it opened in October. So I think we were only shut for, it was about two or three weeks, I think, between that time. It, it was finding a site, you know, trying to find a site, you know, that's sort of a couple of, he- a couple of acres big enough to take those traders in Greater London obviously is very difficult. A lot of them are earmarked for development. So some of them we looked at, they were going to develop them quite soon, so weren't interested. Some of them just didn't want the hassle of having a market on there. Some of them we looked at just weren't suitable at all. It's just trying to find a suitable site, which is why we then moved on to the site where Costco now is, which again was a development site. But the issue there was that that was owned by Wembley City still. They brought that site. It was owned by Wembley City, but it was leased out to a storage company. They weren't using it at that time. So we said, well, you know, can we use it? So we we went on there and used it. I can't remember how long we were there for. It wasn't wasn't very long. No, it was, it was about maybe five weeks or something. Um, but basically, we were we then agreed that we would pay rent to the people that had the lease on the site, didn't realise that it was owned by Wembley City, and uh, but then didn't realise also that the people that we were leasing it off hadn't been paying rent to Wembley City. So therefore, Wembley City evicted them. <laughs> so which was which was a shame. I mean, again, it was a development site and, you know, it took a while for Costco to go on there. And because it was on the um, industrial estate there, most of that industry wasn't working on the Sunday. So it didn't really affect most of that industry to you know there was available car parking around there as most of them do they open their car parks for stadium events um so there was car parking available around there and we could have stayed on there for until you know costco had had started building but again i think it was the council putting that pressure on wembley city saying we told you to get rid of the market look they've opened up again they're on one of your sites get rid of them (laughs) (laughs) September 2013 was when the market opened for the last time before permanently leaving Wembley Stadium's car park, which was its home for over 40 years. Can you tell us what the last day was like? It was quite sad just to see, you know, such a community and such a hub that it wasn't going to be there for the for the thousands of people that came and the businesses that it supported, all those traders. You know, some, some traders have come down from Manchester. Some would be local still. Some would be wholesalers. Some would still be the Jewish wholesalers that, you know, that would started there in the 70s. Um, you know, there were some people that have been there from day one. And that's what's so sad is that the... <laughs> 
it's the, not the base. That sounds awful to say the baseline of society, but it is. It's the building bricks of society that were there, that were the hub of that, that there, that, that enjoyed it, and it was something that they wanted. You know, the powers that be decide that it's not what they want, and so it gets chucked out. Wembley Market eventually finds a new home. Can you tell us about what that was like to come back after being away for five months? Uh, yeah, so we, I mean, we were still just looking around for a, a site, always have been looking. As I said, we, we ended up at the where the Unisys buildings are on the um, uh, North Circular. It wasn't the ideal site. We knew it wasn't the ideal site, but it was okay. It, and it wasn't, the market wasn't anywhere near what it had been, but it did still provide that hub for the community, for people that were there. We really wanted somewhere that was near uh, underground station so that they could get close to it and that's what most people wanted was that that connection to get um from the underground um so that it was still london so we, we were just looking for sites we was just looking and trying to sort out a site the whole time yeah it was march it was beginning of march that we opened there um, but again, the council didn't like it there, so they ended up putting the stop notice on it. I mean, yeah, the parking was a bit of a pain there. It wasn't ideal, as I said, but it did provide provide something. They didn't give us an opportunity to try and rectify and, and put parking on the site where we were and try and um, work with it. They just said, no, we, we don't want yeah. it. I, when it so, moved to um, the Unisys building, so in the uh, Stonebridge area, I... I, I I thought it was a genius idea. I thought it was great for Stonebridge. You know, I thought it was, you know, something positive. So, you know, Wembley Market, the legacy of Wembley Market struggled, unfortunately, to stay in Wembley, mm. but then it found a new space. I, I thought that, like you mentioned, it wasn't ideal for, for parking, um, but I thought it had a lot of opportunity. And I thought, personally, it did quite a good surface uh, to, to the Stonebridge area. And it, it lasted for about three months, and it, it seemed quite popular. It seemed, it seemed you know, really to, to keep its buzz and... People were looking for it and, you know, that's the impression I got. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, people were so pleased when it came back um, and it did, it did have a real buzz um, about it when it came back and, um, you know, I mean, that Unisys site had been empty for years and years, probably since the 70s. I mean, that building was... uh, uh, was very dilapidated, um, you know. And again, it's a development site; they want to do something with it. But as they do, they land bank these things until until it's cost effective. Um, so yes, it did. It it was an excellent use for that site. Um, and it's a shame that the council didn't give us a chance and didn't just speak to us about more. Um, you know, what can we do to make this work? It is a good use of this site. You know, what can we do to help make it work? That's just, you know, the council just, they they weren't interested. They didn't, as I said, that's why we really feel that the council just wanted to put pressure to just close the market. We don't want it, just close it. It doesn't do us any favours. Um, you know, although, you know, you pay rates and, and pay everything that, you know, everyone else does. They're just like, you know, when we were pay- at Wembley Stadium, the, the rates we were paying there was about £3,000 a week. It was huge amounts of rates. Um, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of money that we were... We were giving to the council you know for, and again not not getting a huge amount back because we you know the, for that many people being there we, we hardly ever got police support down we got police down there occasionally but whenever we wanted you know said come down can the police come down and just you know just parade around but they, they wouldn't do that and you think what am i paying all this money for but anyway when you're getting rid of all your own rubbish and everything like that but um no that it's a shame that 
they they couldn't have worked mm. with us to try and actually make it work. They just no stop notice, get out. We don't want you. You know, as you said, Stonebridge is not a brilliant area, um, and it did bring a bit of life to it, and you know provided what people wanted there. You know, but you know, cheap T-shirts, cheap clothes, and um, you know stuff that they wanted to buy. Because let's face it, you, it's supply and demand. If 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 something is being sold, it's because people are buying it. If it's not being sold, people aren't buying it. Supply and demand. That's what people wanted, and that's why the demand was there for those goods at the market. After only four months, the local authority serves up a stop notice, and that's pretty much the end of Wembley Market. Did you try to find another space? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we still look around occasionally now, but, you know, as I said, trying to find a development space in Greater London these days, you know, it, it, it just doesn't, doesn't happen because it's just hot property all over the place. And trying to find somewhere that's suitable, near the underground, etc. We We keep looking around, but there isn't there isn't really anywhere we've 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 given up slightly well we still do look but you know we've looked at so many different sites that 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 weren't suitable um and and a lot of them have been developed now coming back to Wembley four months after Stonebridge market was indefinitely closed the landowner Quintain tries to bring back their own version of Wembley market I think it was called Wembley market the real deal um what did you think about that um well, they asked us about operating it, but the constraints that they put on the market uh, were just were just too great, and we just said it won't work. I mean, they wanted, you know, an an arty, crafty sort of market, you know, with all these little twee things being sold, and sort of they see this area, you know, like Greenwich Borough Market, thinking, oh, we can recreate this, and we just said, it, have a look at your demographics. This is not what Wembley needs. Wembley needs a general retail market. There couldn't be any food being sold, as in hot food, because they wanted all the concessions, because all the, the uh, by then the London designer, the LDO was open, so they didn't want any hot food sold. And we said, you, you've got to have that balance of trade there. And the pe- we knew the people that uh, that took on the, the market we just we just said it's just not going to work they weren't they weren't down there they weren't managing the market you've got to be on the ground and you've got to be managing the market the traders want to see you there um, they want to see you when when the sun is shining and when they want to see you when the rain is blowing and the wind is battering your stall they want to see you out on site as well they have to have respect for you and the manager the management that went in there that's just not what they were doing um the real deal is something slightly separate. It's a um, it's a quango. It's a government uh, council set up thing, which is called the real deal, which is uh, trying to get counterfeit right. free markets. They wanted us to start, sign up to this, and we said we would sign up to it with some amendments to their constitution, if you like, because they said that if any trading standards officer had a suspicion that someone was selling counterfeit goods, that the market operator would chuck that trader off. If they had a suspicion of selling counterfeit goods, the operator, the market management would chuck that trader off. And we said, well, no, that's, um, you know, we're taking the law into our own hands here. We're saying, we think this is what you're doing. If that person is selling counterfeit goods and they're prosecuted for selling counterfeit goods, then yes, okay, we might consider not allowing them to sell those goods again. But um, we can't just say, 
if if someone has a suspicion of selling counterfeit goods, as I said previously, when we invited brand holders down to Wembley Market and they walked around with the trading standards, the trading standards guy there, I think it was Ralph Lauren. No, it was, yes, it was Ralph Lauren because it was polo, some polo T-shirts. And the trading standards guy said, look, these are... Uh, uh, you know, these are polo T-shirts. They're not right. polo. They're counterfeit. And the Ralph Lauren guy said, I'm, I'm not concerned about those. No, I'm not concerned about them. And he said, but look, they're counterfeit. And these two guys ended up nearly having an argument on the market side. Now, if that was, if we had signed up to real deal and that, that trading standards guy said, I think these are counterfeit goods, chuck this trader off. Yeah. Where does that leave us? It would just go around the whole market. No, they look like counterfeit to me. They look like counterfeit to me. No, no grounding for it. Just chuck, oh, chuck that trader off. Well, A, that's, we can't run a business like that. Um, and B, that's a person's livelihood. You know, if you're going to do that to that person um, and tell him he can't trade, you've got to have more than a suspicion. This is not what English law is built on. Innocent until proven guilty. And the other thing was, was that the... On the real deal, they said if a trader had been prosecuted for selling counterfeit goods mm-hmm. at another market, uh, you will not allow them to trade. We said, well, that's a bit strong because, you know, that's a sort of double jeopardy. You can't, you can't keep penalising this person. If they've been prosecuted for selling counterfeit goods, the court yep. will have put whatever punishment on that person that they feel. If they come back to our market and they want to sell the same goods, all right, we would probably say no. But if they want to sell something different, what's wrong with them selling something different? I mean, it point in case is someone that was prosecuted at our, yeah. another market of ours was selling um, CDs, which was very big back then, um, CDs and DVDs. Uh, and he then came back onto the market selling coffee, like a real coffee out of a you know coffee uh, van. Um, and they said, you, you shouldn't allow him to trade. And we said, well, why not? And, and actually, he's selling coffee. What, is, is, it, is he telling us it's Javanese coffee and it's really actually from Aldi? Um, you know, <laughs> you know uh, we, we don't know. But actually, you know, I can't see what, what the issue is with this um, and why we should still keep um, persecuting this person, basically, because he has been been done. He's been done for the crime. He's done the time. He's done what he's needed to do. Let him get on with his life again. If he's been trading at markets, you know, the, it, he's he probably enjoys it. And, and that's you'll, a lot of the traders you speak to. It is a real community. And they go off and they try other things, but they miss the atmosphere. They miss that community. And they miss trading at the markets. And these people want to come back and trade at the markets. So, yeah, the real deal... It's it's another thing that the it's as I said it's a quango. Some people have put money into it, um, but it, it's it's for the customers. It's for the customers to say you have confidence in buying real goods at these markets. And I've I've, I've said to the um, lady Patricia Lennon, who sort of heads this up, and said, so this has been going for quite a few years now. Um, how is it perceived by the public? Because this is really for the public to buy in confidence on the markets. I said, and as far as I'm aware public have absolutely no idea of this um of this quango and of this thing that you've set up i said so you know do the public know about it well we don't have the funds to do any research into that so you think no they don't 
it's one of these things that people, the governments put money into that you think it's just a bit of a waste of money. They have, they have no idea. The trade, the public have no idea, which is where if you said to them, what's the real deal? They wouldn't have any idea of it. Do you know what, did you know what the real deal was before I spoke to you? No, I only heard about it after the local press suddenly started to cover the landowner Quintain's attempt to bring back Wembley Market. To be honest, I haven't heard about it since. Uh, maybe it was a quango set up specifically for the new market. Yeah. Okay, and that brings us to Wendy Fear today. Where, where are you today? And I know you, earlier on you mentioned uh, Bovington Market. It'd be great to speak about the, uh, the markets, which I know not all are new. Some have been running in parallel to Wembley Market, but it'd be good to hear uh, where you are today. Yeah. Yeah, well, Bovington Market, I mean, that's been running again since the 70s. Um, it used to be just on a bank holiday Monday, and now it's every Saturday. But it's been running every Saturday for probably about 30 years or so. Um, it's a very large um, market on a disused airfield in Bovingdon, which is just near Hemel Hempstead. And, and a lot of the traders, when we had Wembley, would trade at Bovingdon on a Saturday, then Wembley on a Sunday. So there's a lot of the same traders that are there. If you went there, you would see a lot of the same faces, um, which is quite mm. nice, actually. It's, um, it has 350 stalls there. It's huge amounts of, uh, of, of traders there. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone who goes is, is disappointed. As I said, you can get there by the, the overground. As we try and link it to the, the Wembley trade, the Wembley customers that came it's it's very much more of a family whereas Wembley what I always said was a more of a fashion market Bovingdon is more of a family market we've got a lot of tool traders there um obviously a lot of food a lot of menswear um but it's just a little bit has that more family feel um rather than the fashion which is what Wembley was was based on yeah I mean but we have people that come I mean from Manchester Liverpool Bristol Plymouth I have people ringing up you know all the time from from so many different places that come to Bovingdon that probably used to come to Wembley as well, you know, and come for that day out. But yeah, we've, yeah. So that's, that's every Saturday in bank holiday. Then we've got a large bank holiday market up near Cambridge. That's the largest market. Bovingdon's the largest regular market in England at the moment. And then Bourne is the largest market per se um, overall in, in the whole of England. It's got four, about 400 stalls. Again, it's on an old disused airfield, because it's a big open flat site, old World War Two airfield. And then we've got a small town centre market in um, St Neots, which is just near Cambridge. So we've reduced down a lot of the markets we used to run. Um, I mean, we used to run up to about 15 market sites on about 30 days a week um, all over the country, Liverpool, Corby, going down to Cornwall. Um, some of those sites have been redeveloped. Some of them are council sites that go around on a tender. So, you know, we'll have them on a tender for three to five years and then they go back out to tender. We put in for what we feel the market's worth. Um, if it's not worth it, um, you know, if we don't get it, then it's obviously not worth our while. You know, we're all a business. We all have to make we're all there to make a bit of profit um, out of make things work. Um, and that's what we do. We work out whether we can make things work. If Wembley Market uh, stayed uh, at the car park and sort of um, continued to run alongside the development happening around it, um, what do you think it'll be like today? Just as busy, just as busy. I mean, when we when we when we yeah. left, it was um, you know it was a busy market. We had about I think five hundred stalls on a, with about sort of three hundred and fifty traders, three hundred traders on there. Yeah, I could see it, it. It would be just as busy because the 
there's a lot there's also a lot of with a lot of the um, immigrant population they're used to sell um, trading at sorry buying at markets um, because in markets are still quite big in their home counties and um, home countries so they are used to buying at markets a lot more so and we were seeing that that yeah. sort of going over that we had a few Polish mm. um, uh, Bulgarian type people, Eastern European traders coming in. Um, we had one guy at Wembley who he was a Polish guy, uh, had a ten yeah. foot stall, and he used to sell Sky dishes. Um, well, Sky, sorry, yeah. he used to sell satellite dishes um, and satellite things, but they mm. were for the Polish market mainly. But obviously, he would yeah. open up. You know, he'd do um, mm. leads and other stuff for the general market. But because a lot of the Polish people wanted to get the Polish television. Um, and he was there for quite a while and he did quite well. So I think we would see sort of a, a slight change there with sort of more of the um, Eastern European immigrant sort of population mm. shopping as well. But obviously also the, the local demographics of Wembley still um, still pleasing them. I mean, so many, yeah. you know, people that you speak to, they say, oh, I spent my teenage years at Wembley Market. Every Sunday I used to go down there. You know, and you think, yeah, but what, where, where are these people now? What are they doing? What is there for them to do? You know, at least at Wembley, you know, for the, for the size of the market and the amount of people we had there, um, you know, there was there was hardly any trouble. The only time really police came down was when they came with trading standards. You know, you think of the football matches and the, and the other... Um, uh, even that the the concerts that you had and the police presence you had, we never had any police presence. We had our own security, but that was mainly for for the traders and for ourselves, and just to to keep a balance there. And because you would get people nicking, so you it was just to try and to keep a, a lid on that. And they knew the people that would come in and nick, and we would just say, you know, no, get out. We're not, you know, don't want you in there. But you know, as in any any disruptions there there was hardly any disruptions for the amount of people there was um every week we, we you know it was a very it was a very safe place to be and a very pleasant place to be and that's why you think well that's why teenagers spent their youth there but you know just think where are where are they what are they doing what are they doing now where are they spending their time that's a bit of a shame really and going back to the question with if uh, Wembley Market was still there today, do you think it would have complemented uh, the London Designer Outlet? When they, would do, when they were building the London Designer Outlet, they, they were pushing it and saying, we have so many, you know, this amount of football coming through basically Wembley City, Wembley Stadium. Well, the majority of that football was all going to the market. <laughs> um, but there were some, some people, some um, brands that said they didn't want to go into the London designer outlet when the market with the market there you think well are you afraid of competition what's what's the issue you know competition is always healthy and yes I think it would have it would have complemented it I think the London designer outlet calling it the London designer outlet is a bit of a fallacy in itself it it's it's a small retail outlet really I haven't been there for a while because I got a bit disappointed. I used to go up there occasionally if I was in the area, but I don't know about you. The last time I went there, there was quite a few empty shops. Have you been there recently? Um, yeah, I have. And uh, yeah, there's, it's, it seems to be, a, 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 I mean, some of the big brands there, um, I mean, you've got the anchor brands here. I guess they're the anchor brands for a reason. They'll always be there. But some other big brands have, have, have been a turnover. So yes. LK, LK Bennett, I think that was a shocker. They, they uh, moved on. Joy, modern fashion brand, that, that's moved on now too. So, uh, but they've got new of Converse have opened up a store there. So there, there seems to be a turnover. Yeah, there is a real turnover. There, yeah, I mean, and and the food outlets they do well when it's um 
when there's stadium events on, they're absolutely round when there's stadium events on, but apart from, or, you know, arena events, but apart from that, it's just a, a, a quite a small tick over, really. And again, they've tried to do like the Christmas markets and the craft markets up that part that they call the high street for some reason. Um, you know, again, it, it's not the demographics of Wembley. It's not, it's not what, what Wembley Wembley needs and Wembley wants. It would have complemented the, the London designer outlet. I think you would have had consumers who go to the Wembley market, uh, who would just go to the Wembley market. You'd have the consumer who'd go to both, who'd visit the, the market and go to the outlet, and you'd have the consumers who only visit the outlet. And I think that would have been quite a... I think that would have been a truer reflection of Brent, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the local and the visitor to the area who just wants to come to the market, and then the one who wants to experience the outlet and someone who wants to go between the two. And I, I kind of think they, they missed out on that, really. Oh, they have definitely missed out, as I said, because we, you know, we would get people that would come, you know, even people, I have emails and phone calls from people that are coming from abroad. I'm coming to London this weekend is Wembley on, um, you know, uh, but they won't obviously, go, they won't go to the London designer outlet because they're not that interested, but they would have come to the market mm. and then would have probably gone to the London designer outlet. And as I said, people yeah. from Manchester, Liverpool, Bristol, Plymouth, if they're coming that far, they'll make the most of that journey. Um, you know, and they might have even rather than grabbing something on the move um, food wise, like the jerk chicken or the mm. tikka kebabs that we had at the market, which were lovely. Mm. Um, you know, they might have actually gone down and sat and had something to eat um, in iguanas or the pizza place and gone to the mm. London designer outlet. But they've missed out on those people yeah. coming um, and those mm. people come and they come to spend, you know. Yeah, which I think is a shame. Um, yeah. But, you know. And that's what London's about. London is about mixing the old and the new. And I think um, I think Brent Council really missed out on a big opportunity there of mixing, you know, the, the, this this uh, market going for decades, and then with this new designer outlet. And I think you know, mixing that's London. If you know, if, even when you walk into central London, London is it's all about the old and the new living side by side. And yeah, yeah, I really do think they missed out on an opportunity there. Mm. No, I think they have. But you know, that's that's big businesses for you. They're that you know, they're not based on the ground they don't see the ground level of it um uh they just look at the bigger picture and and what they sort of want to achieve last of all is there anything you'd like to say to anyone listening who used to go to the original Wembley market come to Bovingdon market it's not it's same same but different you know it's never going to be Wembley you can't replicate that that was you know it was lovely there um but you know Bovingdon market you can get a lot of bargains you get the atmosphere you get the food lovely chicken tikka jerk chicken jerky's there um yeah Kevin mad Kevin with the with the orange wig oh gosh um, Mr. Yeah, Quality Mr. It? Quality that's what I'm trying yeah. to think of his name Mr. Quality <laughs> he's there um you know it's same same but different um so you know if you fancy a bit of um bit of reminiscing then come up to Bovingdon. For anyone who doesn't know who we are talking about, uh, Mr Quality was Wembley Market's resident DJ and this is how he sounded. I love you baby. When are ready, when are ready. I'm going in India. Great. Tessa Darby from Wendy Fear Markets, thanks again for joining me. Listen and subscribe at blogontheblock.com.